John likes tech and lives in Indiana, you know. Kevin likes the Dodgers and talks on the radio. John plays games on Xbox and on his Nintendo. While Kevin runs around LA with his mustachio, it's the Lack of Genius Podcast. In your ear holes at last. They don't know they're Mars and Venus, that's why it's the Lack of Genius Podcast. <laughs> Starting with a howl. Hey, John. Yeah. Hey. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing good. I thought I thought a howl would be that was a pretty good howl too, wasn't it? It, it was. Like, uh, what wasn't there a radio host back in the day that was like Howlin' Jack or something like w- that? Wolfman Jack. Yeah. Oh, there Wolfman you go. Jack. Yeah. We're we're howling because well, I guess I'm howling for a couple of reasons. One, my dogs are howling in the background right now. <laughs> and we figured it might be appropriate for them to continue howling because we are doing an episode on where the wild things are. Yay! And we divided it into into two different things, right, John? Yep, the book and movie. Yeah, so John's going to quiz me on the book, and mm-hmm. I am quizzing him on the movie. I'll, I'll, I know the, the book came out first, but I'm going to just keep talking because about the film because it's a film that I love and that sometimes I forget how much I love. Like, I, I know I've mentioned a lot of different movies as being one of my favorite movies of all time, including mm-hmm. like Cool Runnings and Happy Gilmore and Mighty Ducks. And those are all, I would stand by those. Like, um, those are all obviously kind of silly movies, nostalgic movies. As an adult, like, Where the Wild Things Are is every time I watch it, I get, like, emotional. I get get (laughs) sucked into it. It's a, a, as I learned in some of my research, and I guess I already knew, it's a kind of a polarizing movie because people wanted it to be more child-friendly and people thought it was too dark, but... Regardless of your stance on on that part of it, I think visually, when you look at this movie, you can't deny how beautiful it is and how, I mean, and I, I have yeah. tons of stuff to talk about. I'll try not to get too carried away. But <laughs> I, my favorite thing about it, I think, is that it does such a great job of tapping into sort of the confusion of being a child sometimes and the the what's right, what's wrong, why are adults like this, why don't, you know, why isn't life is unfair? I, I don't know. You can see I'm even confused about how to say it, but it just taps into that feeling. And yeah. I I don't know. I think I think I have a pretty strong inner child. So I think that's why this this movie really taps into me. I just really connect with it a lot. That's good. And then John, you're doing the book. I don't know if you have mm-hmm. if you have the same kind of emotional connection to the book that I have to the movie, but what, what is your experience with the book? I mean, I, you know, I've, I've had it since I was a kid and the book came out, you know, 20 some years before we were even born. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it had already been around for a long time. The book came out in the mid sixties. It was written and illustrated by Maurice Sendak, who his parents, I think, I mean, he grew up Jewish. His parents came over from, I think it was Poland and he had family die in the Holocaust and everything. Wow. Like he was a, he was a early teen when that was all going on. Wow. So part of that probably p- plays into it. Yeah. Well, and the characters, like the, the wild things were all drawn kind of based off of caricatures of his aunts and uncles when they would come over on like Sunday afternoons and stuff. Well, th- there's so much that you just said that I had no idea about, including including the Holocaust surviving and like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this this book, especially the movie, but the, the book, which I did not go back and read, I don't know the last time I've read it. Um, I don't know either. <laughs> but, you know, the this idea of sort of escaping into an imaginary world, you know, that's a survival mechanism. And yeah. for someone well, and to- l- let me make sure I was 
you you understood what I was saying. He didn't actually go through the Holocaust, but he oh. had family that did. Got it. Got he, it. Okay. He, he was he was all, his family was already over here in the the states when that was happening. But I see, I see. But yeah, he, he was alive during that time. Yeah. So for him to know that his family was going through that, I see. So that, that is a little bit of a different experience. But yeah. even still, like I think there's something relatable for any child to sort of want to escape reality mm-hmm. and go down this dream world. And then. Um, so the aunts and uncles thing is so interesting too, because I know that the characters in the movie, they obviously had to be expanded on, but mm-hmm. there is a character, um, Ira and Judith, they're a couple and they sort of represent, a, they sort of represent parents, but to me, they're almost more like aunts and uncles. So that is pretty ironic. And it does make me wonder because Maurice Sendak, the author was a, a major part of the consulting on the film with Spike Jones, the director. So, so maybe they deliberately sort of gave it that aunt uncle vibe because that's what his that's what his intent was uh, it's possible all right well we got some tidying up to do so should we get into that yeah. tidy up before we go go any further with the show show tidy up before we go go fix our mistakes tonight i want to get it right I'm sort of going to hijack this tidy up section, which I guess isn't that uncommon from what I do all the time because sometimes I don't shut up. But as opposed to tidying something up, I'm more going to recall something from a previous episode and share a story with you all. (laughs) So the curling and bobsled episode, as you know, if you listened, I was really moving by the by the idea of curling. So I went and I found a curling club, Southern California Curling Center, and I, I got two friends of mine and we registered and we went to an amazing 90 minute lesson for only $30, which I'd highly recommend if you're in Southern California. So I go with some friends, the three of us sign up, we're in a group of eight, we learn how to curl. I, um, as of the release of this episode, I've posted things that I'm talking about onto social media so you can go and, and see what I'm talking about. I had a blast, right? I feel like I'm bragging, but I but I literally had the two best shots of the night. And some a lot of it is luck, but you know, I, I will say that I, you know, I did try to get it near the freaking bullseye. It was so much fun. There was a moment before we had started, we were on the ice and these four people walk in and they're wearing American flag jumpsuits. And I remember because I turned to my friend and I said, oh, now it's time to start feeling judged. And what I meant by that is (laughs) I thought these guys were like a team and part of a league. And this was the thing that they did. They always showed up in these uniforms. Turns out they were just there getting a lesson. I kind of glanced over and realized, okay, this is not league play. They're just getting their lesson. They were two lanes over from us and it was a good time. So I go home and then yesterday I'm like, I'm going to post about this on the Lack of Genius podcast Instagram page. And when I go to the Southern California Curling Center and, I'm, and I look that up, I see, you may not know this name right off the bat. Her name is Courtney. Her, her Instagram handle is Courtney with a K. I know exactly who this is. There's a picture of her wearing a Team USA jumping outfit on ice at the Southern California Curling Center. I'm like, no way. Now, Courtney with a K, <laughs> she is the wife of Dodger Justin Turner. If you don't know that name, most people I found know that that is the guy on the Dodgers with the red beard and the long red hair. And people know him instantly <laughs> if you follow baseball, even peripherally. Yes, what you're thinking is right. Justin Turner and his wife, Courtney, were two lanes over from me for an hour and a half curling. And I had no idea. 
and and I'm a huge Dodger fan, as you know if you listen to this podcast. And Justin Turner is like the heart and soul of the Dodgers. He is the Dodger. Him and Clayton Kershaw are essentially the captains of the team. And I lost it, man. There are pictures that you'll see if you go to the Instagram right now where I'm technically curling with <laughs> Justin Turner. We're both simultaneously curling, just two lanes apart. I mean, I feel like we need to take your uh, Dodger fan <laughs> credentials away a little bit because okay. you didn't know it was him. <laughs> now, here in my defense, and and maybe you're wondering, like, how did you not recognize a red beard? He had a mask on the whole time. He was he was wearing a hat. He does not have long hair right now. That or it was in a ponytail under his hat. And it's funny now because when I look at the pictures and I zoom in, I'm like, oh my god, that's so him. But I, I wasn't going and looking people in the eye. And <laughs> the ironic thing too is that when I'm out in public, I tend to be pretty social. And mm -hmm. if I saw a group of people like that and had a chance to talk to them, I 100% would have said something like "sweet onesies," you know, or like. And I, I 100% would have talked to them if I had the opportunity. But our paths never cross just because we were two lanes apart getting our lessons. So like I said, I'm very excited about that that this happened. I love that I'm able to tell this story, but it hurts that I was that close to because I, I think we would have been friends. I think we would have gotten along fine. We both like baseball. We both like curling. Yeah. We both like the Dodgers. <laughs> so um, my goodness, there is my there's my and, swing and you and lost, miss. You lost us the chance of having a professional baseball player and on the podcast. I know. Can you? And I, <laughs> I will. I did slide into his DMs from the Lack of Genius podcast. I did, and I sent him pictures of look. There's us curling together. And I thought <laughs> this is really going to stand out. But I realized he probably gets stuff like that all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is an exciting experience for me. But this is not a unique experience for him. He gets people who are like, look, there's you in the background of my photo all the time. I'm sure. <laughs> It's time to take a quiz or two. Lack of Genius Podcast doing this for you. You may fail, but it ain't no lie. Baby, it's quiz time. Don't really want this quiz to be tough. I just want to pass one because I failed enough. It might sound crazy, but it ain't no lie. Baby, it's quiz time. Gonna be a long time till I'm over the Justin Turner thing. I'm gonna be honest, but that's the last <laughs> time I'll mention it, except for when I mention it inevitably later in this show. Right? Where the wild things are is what we're transitioning to now. Yeah, indeed. And because the book came out first, John will ask the first question. Yep. So um, let's do some learning about the book, shall we? We shall. All right. So I, I tried to find more current data on this, but I couldn't. So we're looking at something from 13 years ago. Okay. But as of 2009, mm -hmm. which I think is the same year as when the movie came out. It is, yeah. Uh, um, how many copies of the book have been sold? 9 million, 19 million, 29 million, or 39 million? Wow, good little range there. And it does, you're right, that is the year the movie came out. I do wonder if after 2009, book sales, I would guess they probably went up. Yeah, I couldn't really find anything about one way or the other. Yeah, so. but uh, nearly 40 years later, uh, or maybe more than 40 years later, how many copies of the book sold? 9 million, 19 million, 29 million, or 39 million? Mm -hmm. I don't really know what good book number sales are. But man, I'm going to say that it sold... Uh, 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 I'm going to pick 29 million. <laughs> I'm, I'm growling like a wild thing. I was going to pick 39. I'm, I'm going to choose 29. Oh! 19. 19? Oh, wow. 19 okay. million. 
All right. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's and that's as of 2009. So, I mean, with the movie that came out and everything, it's possible it's much higher than that now. Yeah. I, I actually, I would hope it's much higher than that now, since yeah. that was you know, 13 years ago. But roughly, you know, over 19 million copies as of 09, with 10 million of those being in the United States alone. Okay, got it. Wow. Do Do you have any questions going into like the storyline of the book, the quote unquote storyline, no. or like just as a if if somebody's totally clueless? Uh, and again, I didn't go back and read the book, but my understanding is that Max is the main character. He he mm-hmm. dresses in this white wolf costume. And he goes to bed without dinner one night. Because he did something bad. Because he did something bad, yes. And and then kind of drifts away into this dream world. His room becomes mm-hmm. this wild, this jungle, this wild thing area. And that's essentially what happens in the book. In the movie, he runs away from home after doing something bad. Gets in a boat, which uh, in, the, in the book, I believe, there's a boat that takes him to this dream world. Um, mm-hmm. And in this one, he physically gets in a boat and then goes off to where the wild things are and then takes the boat home. And it's sort of a mystery in the movie. It's never really said whether he actually ran away and got in this boat. And what, I, th- I think he did right. actually run away. But where did he go? We don't know exactly. Did he maybe he really went to this amazing place? So anyways, just as a just as a brief sort of those are the big differences. But uh, you ready mm-hmm. for your first question on the film? I am. So that all the characters were voiced by actors, obviously. Which of the following actors did not provide a voice for a character in Where the Wild Things Are? James Gandolfini, Julianne Moore, Forrest Whitaker, or Catherine O'Hara, who did not provide a voice? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I know when you and I were talking about this initially, I said I'd never seen the movie, and I still haven't. Oh! Oh, I I miss that man. I miss that. No, I thought it's okay. You had, so, do you know any of these for sure that they, that that are in the no. movie? Just, oh, so you, this is just this is just a dartboard for you. You have no idea. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am proving your lack of genius, so that's good. Yep. And again, it's James Gandolfini, Julianne Moore, Forrest Whitaker, Catherine O'Hara. I'm just gonna go with Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara, and you you know who that yep. is, right? I think so. She's she's the mom on Home Alone. That's her most famous role, right. and and then she's in all of the uh, all of the fun uh, mockumentary style movies. And most most recently, uh, what's the what's the huge TV show she's on that I can't think of the name of? Um, oh, that's embarrassing. It'll it'll come to me. Where they live in a hotel <laughs> and they uh, now I got to look it up. <laughs> okay, but you're gonna choose Catherine O'Hara. Yep. All right, John. That is. Incorrect. Sorry. The correct answer is Julianne Moore. She is not in. Her voice is not provided. I can't believe this isn't popping up immediately. I'm trying to... I'm so embarrassed that I can't think of the name of the show because it's (laughs) hugely popular. Um, Oh, yeah. She was also in Beetlejuice. Um, Man, Mm -hmm. why is this taking so long to find? I feel... And people at home are yelling it. Um, Okay. Really? How do I not see the title yet? Wow, she was in Six Feet Under? That's good to know. This part will be edited out. Why is it not? What? Yeah, maybe not. Shit's oh, Creek. Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. Thank you, God. Shit's Creek. Have you ever seen Shit's Creek? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, it's, it's on my list of things to watch, but. But it's it's been a joy to see Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hare come back together because they've been in so many things together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as my dogs continue to howl in the background, James <laughs> Gandolfini provides the voice of the main character, Carol. Um, and then Forrest Whitaker is, uh, plays Ira. And then his girlfriend is played by Catherine O'Hara, Judith. And 
Even though a lot of people don't know this name, Lauren Ambrose is one of my favorite voices in this because she plays Claire in the show Six Feet Under, which is one of my favorite all-time shows, and her voice is so perfect for the part. And even Spike Jones, who is the director, provides voices for Bob and Terry, which if you've seen the film, you know, are two little owls, spoiler alert, and uh, they they literally pretty much say nothing. They literally don't, they, they make noises, but that is that is Spike Jones's little Easter egg that he provides the voice for those silly little owls. So there you go. So we're both 0 for 1. Yeah, we are. Right, go us. Let's uh, see number two for the book, Where the Wild Things Are. And it is a true or false. Yes. It's an easy one. True or false. The book has been banned. Wow. I I think this is true, but I don't know why. And I feel, I just feel like I've heard this and I'm kind of hoping it's true because I would very much like to hear why. So I'm just going to choose true and see what happens. All right. Yeah. What's this all about? <laughs> Basically, a lot of people were complaining originally when it came out in the mid 60s because parents and adults found it problematic that Max was punished by being sent to bed without dinner. Oh, you're like starving a kid. Yeah. And, you know, some people also, you know, the supernatural themes and stuff. I mean, in fact, there is a, a column in the Ladies Home Journal in 1969 that deemed the book psychologically damaging for three and four year olds. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wait till she sees what three and four year olds are seeing in the year 2022, because it's far worse than a kid mm -hmm. going to bed without dinner. That is what is so tricky about doing anything in the public eye is that somebody's going to find something to complain about for anything. Well, I mean, one, one way you could look at that is if you're making someone complain about it, then maybe you're doing the right thing. Yeah, and you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's funny because the movie got sort of similar like complaints, not about going to bed without dinner, but about mm -hmm. how it's this is a children's book, and quite frankly, the movie is not a children's movie. In fact, there's a great quote that I don't think I saved anywhere. But Spike Jones basically said it's a movie about children, but not a children's movie. Like it's a movie that right. that is about the, the the life and struggles of, of a child, but not necessarily. Mm -hmm. for, but he very much wanted wanted this movie to be loved by families, by kids, and but right. a lot of adults feel like the movie is too scary or too dark or too way too emotionally deep mm -hmm. for children. I, I'd kind of be. I don't know that I would show it to a toddler, you know, but. I, you know, if right. I become a dad, I might show it to my 10 year old and I don't, I don't think mm -hmm. a kid would love the movie though that much, you know? So no. you um, never know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but, um, all right, cool. So I got that one right. And guess what? You get a true or false for number two as well. <laughs> uh, number two, true or false industrial light and magic, as you know, is ILM. That's the, uh, George Lucas company created the animatronic suits used in where the wild things are. Is that true or false? Oh, do you have a visual of the characters from the movie at the very least in your head? Maybe a little. Yeah. Okay. I think it's partially because of Syndex's art style that it reminds me more of like Henson Company mm. stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with false. You're choosing false. ILM created the animatronic suits using where the wild things are. You're saying that's false. Yes. That is... <laughs> Correct. And you should get bonus points because you're absolutely right. Jim Henson Creature Shop is the one that created the the creatures. So one of the most fascinating things about this movie and one of the reasons that I love it, even though it's mm -hmm. now, you know, third, 12, 13 years old, 
they had plenty of technology to do this entire thing oh, yeah. CGI. You know, they they very much could yeah. have, but uh, Spike Jones was was that was not his vision. These are actual creatures and people in suits. Now, what they did do is they used um, CGI for most of the facial, the talking and the expressions. And right. I think they my my opinion is that they they put these together perfectly because they very much are real things. But um, mm -hmm. it was just. To, to get the true emotion of the characters, the, the CGI had to be called in. And I think right. that's part of why I love this movie so much, too, is that that seeing movies from the 80s and 90s where Jim Henson was creating actual mm -hmm. things on the on the screen that you were seeing and could touch. I love that. And I, I, I just I just dislike CGI so much. Um, I mean, it's come a long way, so obviously it does a great job. But yeah, these were actual suits created by the Jim Henson company. There was an eight-month process of building the suits. Um, one of the very cool things, these suits were like, these characters were like 12 feet tall. They were enormous. Mm -hmm. And so there was so, there's you could find some really interesting facts about these suits. Inside of the head, they put these little three-inch square black and white TV monitors so that the actors inside could see what the cameras were filming so they could see what their movements looked like and they could they could That's get cool. to know that bet them better. So there you go. All right. Nice job, John. Very impressive that you got that so right. So we're both one for two, right? Yep. Yeah, go us. All right, number three about the book. What literary award, which I think the I think the book has won multiple awards. Mm -hmm. Um, but what literary literary award has it earned? The Nobel Prize in Literature, mm. the Newbery Award, the Caldecott Medal, or the Pulitzer Prize? Uh, I, I've never heard of the Caldecott Medal, but I have heard of a Nobel Prize in Literature. I have heard of a Newbery Award, and I have heard of a Pulitzer Prize. And I think, I think the Newbery is for children's book literature, but I could be way off on that. I will admit that that is the one that is jumping out at me so, uh, so as not to overthink it. I'm just going to choose the Newbery Award. The Newbery Award? Yeah, I'm picking it. Oh, my goodness. It's the Caldecott. No. Oh, it's the one I don't know. What is the Caldecott? <laughs> uh, it's very similar to the Newbery. And if memory serves, uh, the Newbery is the American Library or the American Library Association or whatever. Uh, it's their award for Children's Book of the Year. Okay, it is. All right. The Caldecott is very similar in that it is picture book for children. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because obviously not all children's books are are going to have illustrations. Right. That's an appropriate award for them to win because those images are are the creativity behind them so amazing. Uh all right, cool. So I got I got that incorrect. I'm one. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm one for 3. I'm falling behind quick. Uh you're one for 2. Let's see if you can take the lead here on number 3. It's a music question. The singer of which band wrote and performed the soundtrack for Where the Wild Things Are? Is it Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Florence and the Machine, Paramore, or Vampire Weekend? Florence and the Machine is kind of sticking out to me on that one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have any any uh, memory of the of the songs or the soundtrack? No, I I don't listen to radio very often, mm -hmm. so if it was on the radio, I didn't hear it. But for some reason, I'm... I mean, Florence and the Machine still is a fairly big band, mm -hmm. and they were definitely big then. Yeah. So I'm just going to go with Florence and the Machine. Florence and the Machine is your choice. Yep. John, that is incorrect. I'm sorry. It is the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Karen O ah. is the lead singer of Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. I 
deliberately put three out of the four bands with female lead singers, just in case you had any memory of there being, which maybe you did. And maybe that's why Florence popped out. I also realized I could have thrown in Arcade Fire as a choice to throw some people off who, who did have a memory of this because I did work in radio during this time and I worked in alternative radio. So I was very plugged into the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and Arcade Fire and that kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Arcade Fire, their song Wake Up was used in the trailer very popularly. But Karen O did all of the music for that you hear in the movie. And in fact, one of the reasons I love it is because uh, there's a lot of just kind of shouting like, yeah, you know, woo. And just like, just like <laughs> childlike shouting that works in the songs, but then also plays in the movie and just kind of comes out mm-hmm. of nowhere. And I'm almost kind of, it's like jarring, but works so well. Um, Spike Jones wanted simple melodies that were emotionally complex, something that both kids and adults would appreciate, because I think that sums up the movie well. It's an emotionally complex movie, right. both the kids and adults would appreciate it. And so like a lot of the music is very playful, very fun, very lighthearted, but also has a certain complexity to it. Yeah. All right. Well, at least we're both one for three. So let's see who can do worse. Yep. So, we, I mean, we've talked about the creatures a little bit, uh-huh. um, you know, and, and I mentioned how they were drawn off of caricatures of uh, his aunts and uncles, uh-huh. but they aren't what they were originally going to be. Okay. So what were the creatures originally going to be? Okay. Horses, dragons, cats, or dogs? Dragons is definitely the front runner here, but it 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 would be very interesting to learn if for some reason they were he was going to be going to an island full of cats or something. Um, but between horses, dragons, cats, and dogs, I I got to choose dragons and see what happens. Let's go with dragons. Dang it, you got me. Horses. It is horses. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay, tell me about yeah, this. It was it was going to be a pl- a land of wild horses and. He realized uh, shortly before he started doing all the the drawing that he didn't know how to draw horses. (laughs) (laughs) And and so his editor suggested just being more ambiguous and drawing wild things. Wow. So that's where he used the caricatures. That makes me wonder if he had a working title before that and it was going to be where the horses Mm -hmm. are. (laughs) And then said, well, why don't you draw wild things instead? And then it was, but I I would guess the title maybe came later, but literally that was a suggestion. Maybe just try drawing wild things. Yeah. I love that. But that is hilarious that it could have been horses. That reminds me of a, I won't name her name in case she's, (laughs) there was a girl that I went to elementary school with who I'll never forget in fifth grade. She loved drawing horses and she was trying to sell pictures of her horse drawings to us and <laughs> God bless her. She was an early entrepreneur, but I, there was not enough amount of money you could have paid me to make me buy one of her horse drawings. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm now one for four. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I'm in trouble. Well, let's see if you can go for one for four as well. So as I've mentioned several times, <laughs> Spike Jones is the director of the movie. Yep. I don't know how familiar you are with Spike Jones. We're about to find out which of the following movies was not directed by Spike Jones, where the Wild Things are director. Uh, is it Being John Malkovich, Her, Adaptation, or Jackass Forever? I believe Jackass Forever, unless I am incredibly wrong. But it, I mean, that's the newest one, right? That's the newest one, correct. Um, yeah, I'm just going to go with Jackass Forever. Jackass Forever was not directed by Spike Jones, you say, John, that is... Yeah. 
correct. Yay. I kind of threw this in. To be honest, I thought that he directed all of the Jackass movies. Do you know do you know that he's very tied into the Jackass? No, I didn't. Yeah, so he is he is a writer and a producer on all of the Jackass movies. <laughs> and I thought that he directed it, but then that makes sense. Jeff Tremaine, Jeff Tremaine, who has a lot of camera time as well is the director of Jackass. Um, Spike Jones did direct Being John Malkovich, which I've never seen, and now I 100% need to. That's a weird to. movie. Yeah, I've heard it's weird, and I really like the weirdness that Spike Jones brings to his movie, so I need to watch yeah. it. Have you seen Her? I haven't seen Her, but I know about Her. And same with the adaptation. I haven't seen it either. But, yeah. you know, knowing Spike Jones and knowing the... The films that I do know that were his, I knew, I figured the first three were all his type of movies. Yeah. yeah. I love her, um, the, the movie Her. I think it did a great, and it almost was before its time. It was really predicting what we're sort of yeah. already in, which is being attached to technology. Basically, the main character uh, who is, uh, I keep wanting to say Jude Law, uh, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix um, is living in the not too distant future and basically is talking to his phone and people start to form relationships with their phones, mm -hmm. with, the, with the AI that's in their phones. And uh, it's, it's, whew, I loved it. But um, yeah, he did not direct the Jackass movies, but he is a major player in them. But this man has an incredible resume of directing, mm -hmm. especially with music videos. He's, I'm just going to read through oh, yeah. some of the, uh, he's directed videos for Weezer, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., R.E.M., Ween, Bjork, R, uh, The Chemical Brothers, Daft Punk, Beastie Boys. He he most recently directed a 2020 movie about the Beastie Boys. Um, yep. You should watch that. I yes, I that's one that's on Apple TV Plus, right? Yeah, yeah, and I do have that now, so I need to. What I guess what I've what I've realized is how big of a fan I am of Spike Jones without even having <laughs> really known it. And I know that the right. Jackass movies are silly, but there's a lot of incredible creativity that goes into them, and the fact that he can sort of be this like off the wall mm -hmm. sort of dude, but also this crazily intensely creative guy for these movies like Where the Wild Things Are and Being John Malkovich. In fact, John, I think we should do an episode about our favorite directors of movies. Even though I'm I'm not sure I would choose Spike Jones, I might choose Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a whole nother topic, but that might be a fun path to go down. So anyways, there's me rambling on about Spike Jones. All right, so you got that one right. You're two for four. I'm one for four, so I really need to get this one right if I want a chance of anything here. Yeah. All right. Number five on the book. What year was the opera created? Wow. 2000, 1975, 2011, or 1983? You could have you could have just put in true or false there was an opera created. I had no idea there was an opera. Oh my gosh, an opera, not even like a not even like a musical. I mean, I guess an opera no. you, but like yeah, it's it's a full on opera. 2000, mm -hmm. 1975, 2011, 1983. I have a feeling because this isn't something that's in my knowledge bank, which I, most operas aren't anyways that it's not a recent thing. Even 2000 seems like I, w I was 15 at that time. I might have heard about it. I'm going to guess it's one of these older ones, either 75 or 83, both well into the book's creation. I'm going to choose 1983 because that's the year my brother Robert, whose love I'm still trying to earn, uh, was born. So I'm going to say 1983. <laughs> yeah, Robert! <laughs> yep, that's when it was initially kind of put out there. But it actually, New York City Opera revived it in April of 2011. Cool. And so that's why I put that in there. 
Um, it's a one act thing with nine scenes. The the okay. opera, which mm-hmm. Maurice Sendak helped with, was where he actually gave names to the wild things. And they were his relatives' names, kind of the ones that he they were based off of to begin with. Zippy, T-Z-I-P-P-Y, Moish, Aaron, Emil, and Bernard. No way. Those are, those are very mm-hmm. Jewish names, aren't they? <laughs> they <laughs> Some are. of them. Um, I, I, so, so, I mean, not knowing if Spike Jones knew about the opera or not, it kind of makes, it's kind of interesting that the names aren't similar, really. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure he did because he worked hand in hand with Maurice Sendak. Um, That's true. In the movie. So I, I, I bet there was a, I bet there was a conversation about whether to have it be those characters, mm-hmm. but yeah. The I'll read you the characters' names for for the movie though because they're much simpler names. Um, they are Carol K W is one of the names. Carol K W, <laughs> Douglas, Ira, Judith, Alexander, and the Bull. The Bull is just known as the Bull. I, I also love that Carol is a male. That's James Gandolfini's character. He's sort of the main wild thing. And and there are Carol it can be a quote unquote boy or girl name, but. Um, you know, it's more commonly known as a female name in our society. And so I love that that's a, a male character. So I miss that one, right? No, oh, wait. you got it right. Oh yeah, I got it right. So yeah, I have you, a ch- we have a chance yeah. at a tie. Yeah. I'm two for five. You're two for four going into the last question. Again, mm-hmm. you haven't seen this movie. So I'll tell you, it's no. some of it is shot in a studio, but the majority of it mm-hmm. is shot out in nature. And that was a very deliberate choice. There are some stunning shots. So, which of the following locations was the film shot at? Was it in Australia, Hawaii, Argentina, or New Zealand? I'm kind of torn between Hawaii and New Zealand because both places are used quite heavily for filming. And I kind of vaguely remember scenes from the trailer. I think I'm going to go with New Zealand just because it has a lot more different ecosystems than Hawaii does. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So you're going so with it, New Zealand? Yep. John, mm-hmm. you are incorrect, which means we tied. We did. You're very close, Australia. You're very close regionally. Uh, In fact, Hawaii, Argentina, and New Zealand were all considered for locations, but Australia is what they went with. Their sort of main hub was Melbourne, Mel- Melbourne, and all of the um, locations that they shot out, or, mo- or most of them anyways, were relatively close by within like an hour and a half drive. The use In this movie, you see sand dunes, you see cliffs, you see forests, you see ocean. It's really pretty stunning, visually stunning. Every time you see a boat that's on choppy waters, it's actually in choppy water. You know, it, it would have been much easier to film a lot of these things in a studio, but they felt that having that real feel and actually feeling nature as though it was one of the characters was a big part of what they wanted. In fact, there's a, a quote that said, Spike always wanted it to be like a nature film as if we were filming the creatures in the wild and stalking them, which is very cool because you do get a lot of that. Like you're kind of behind a tree and you're looking. Yeah, they really capitalized on the nature that Australia had to offer and really the elements come through in the movie for sure. Cool. So we tied. We're two for five. We both sort of kind of know stuff about the movie and the book. (laughs) But as as you've heard throughout the episode, I get very excited talking about this. I I just watched the movie two days ago and I kind of want to go back and watch it again just because it it moves. And I would, John, I would, if you have HBO Max, by the way, uh, it is, it is on there. I thought hundred percent I was going to have to pay for it and rent it on Amazon or whatever, but yeah, it's on HBO Max. So I would recommend it. Let me know what you think. All right. Well, 
uh, add a tally to the tie. And um, we'll be back next week with some more fun. And in the meantime, go read and watch Where the Wild Things Are and maybe do both simultaneously and let us know how that works out. It's the Lack of Genius Podcast in your ear holes at last. They don't know they're Mars and Venus. That's why it's the Lack of Genius Podcast. <laughs>